So, like I said, Mark chapter 11, at the very end, and we're mostly going to be considering the first section in the beginning of chapter 12, parable of the tenants. Uh, so let me begin by just reading, starting in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27, and I'll, I'll read and pray for us. It says this, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. They said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then do you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was, really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by, by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed, and so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one another, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask now that you would uh, give us clarity, that you would help us to understand what your word is teaching us. Help us, Lord, to remind ourselves that you're for us and that you love us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if you do something kind of uh, against the grain, if you do some things that people don't really appreciate, if you break traditions, if you do things that are against cultural norms, nine times out of ten, you're going to get pushback, right? Um, we are just people who are programmed to appreciate uh, routine. We like the, the way that things work. Why fix it if it ain't broken are some of the things we might say. And so Jesus... Um, is kind of helping the people here because they don't think it's broken. They think that they're being faithful to God. And Jesus says, like, oh, we're going to fix it because it is really broken. 
But, like anything else, he gets pushback. He kind of gets the, 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 the religious leaders, they get their uh, the neck, the hairs on the back of their neck are standing up. They do not like Jesus. Why? Well, we talked about it last week. Jesus, he went into the temple, and we talked a little bit about the difference between cleaning something and deconstructing something. Like, we might clean our room and make it look a little better, but Jesus goes in the temple, and he takes names and ain't going to have none of it. He's overthrowing tables. He's kicking people out. He has a lot to say about the way the religious leaders are kind of leading the people. And in fact, he even says the temple is like this withered fig tree that I cursed. It will never bear fruit again. It will never have anything good about it. But can you imagine if someone, like, imagine you had a job one day. Maybe you have a job now, I don't know. But maybe, like, you're in your career. And someone walk, you have your little cubicle, and someone walks in, and they just start, like, kicking down walls, breaking the coffee pot, smashing in all the computers, and, and starts saying all this, like, thus saith the Lord, and breaking, and you're like, what is happening? Right? Like, how disruptive and crazy, and you're sitting there like, what do I do? What do I do? Like, this is insane. What, like, it's disruptive. And, and, and in essence, that's what Jesus has done. He's walked into like their normal routines and he has just destroyed everything. And now he gets the pushback. But here's something I'd like to say really quick about the religious leaders. Um, even though we kind of cast them as villains in the New Testament, they are probably really smart people. They are the intellectuals of the day. They do not react. They respond. You guys know the difference of that? That's probably a good thing to learn as a a teenager. To not react to things, but to respond. To like, when something happens, to think, cool down, ponder, consider, ask, talk amongst yourselves, and then respond well. Because Jesus does this, and it says the very next day they came back to Jerusalem, and Jesus is back in the temple. It's almost like to see like, yeah, these guys better not go back to the old ways. But then he gets approached, right? Look down at verse 27. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders. So we're talking about like the leaders of Judaism. We're not just talking about a good guy who's concerned about you broke my computer screen. We're talking about the people who really run the fabric of all of the modern day Judaism for them. And they come up to Jesus and they say, hey, bud, what makes you think that you have the, the right or the authority to come and to do all these things. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, these guys aren't no dummies. They are smart because they know that, one, if Jesus says that I have the authority of God, and it's, he was kind of, he'd be in essence, admitting to the fact that I am this Messiah role, I'm kind of God, and I have the authority of God to do whatever I want, and therefore they would have grounds to get him removed or killed and crucified. But if he said he was just of men, it kind of just shows that he is hogwash and that you don't really have any authority. And so that they kind of, they're trying to trick Jesus here to get him to admit to something so they can kind of take care of him. So again, like, they're not reacting, they're responding. But it's interesting. When you try to catch the person who made everything seen and unseen with the power of his words, he made everything created, who uh, 
is the founder of life. It's interesting when you try to catch someone like that in a little lie or in a little trap. Do you think Jesus is going to fall for it? So Jesus is like, okay, I will answer your question if and only if you can answer my question. And you know what he does? He brings up John the Baptist. Why does he bring up John the Baptist? Well, one, people really liked John the Baptist. Like this mysterious dude eating locusts. Remember we talked about John the Baptist right in the beginning of the book of Mark? Kind of uh, weird. Like not just weird. Like he, he seems weird to us. He would be weird back then. But he called, he called out a voice for the Lord, and the people really thought he was a prophet. Matter of fact, years later, 40 years later, people are ministering in different parts of the world. And Paul, even matter of fact, Pastor Carl didn't talk about it too much, but in Acts 19, Paul meets some disciples of John the Baptist. Like, John the Baptist's ministry was widely known and felt, and people liked him. So Jesus says, let me ask you guys a question. John the Baptist, was he legit? Was he of God or is he of man? Now he puts it back on them. Because if the religious leaders say, well, he was just of men, do you know what happened? The people would riot. The people would say, heck no, he would, truly was a man of God. But if he says of God, right, it's kind of allowing Jesus to also be the same kind of thing. And so they kind of just say like, well, we don't really know. Because they knew that whatever way they answered, Jesus kind of had them on the hook. So Jesus says, well, I won't tell you any either. And, you know, if you won't answer my question, I won't answer your question. But what's the big deal here, right? Why, why is this their little exchange? Remember, we're in Passion Week where Jesus is looking to the cross. He's ready for his crucifixion. He knows that he is about to kind of die for the sins of the world. And he's cleansing the temple but here's the thing. The reason why I think this is important for us is because it underscores the authority of Jesus. Of do we really see Jesus having the authority, the rights, the claim, the position to tell us how we should live? Do we, in essence, see Jesus as we ought to see him? As God as the one who informs our desires and our affections and our loves? Do we really, as this uh, theologian Abraham Cooper once said, every single thing in the creative order belongs to Jesus, and Jesus calls out and says, this is mine. Even you. Jesus boldly and proclaimed, proclaims, even over his created order, beings, us. He says, mine. This is mine. You see, they did not like someone barging into their life, disrupting everything, saying, this is wrong, that's wrong. Let's do it this way. We don't like to be disruptive. We don't like people having to tell us what to do. Um, I, I will tell you that I think there are certain things in our society and some even, I would say, bad theology that we hear, that I, even I hear, and maybe I even expound it, that, that lead to more of an individualistic type of mentality. That I do what's good for me, 
That whatever feels kind of good, whatever seems right by my eyes, what my heart says is justice, that's the way I'm going to kind of live. And it's so subtle. It's like the air we breathe. We don't necessarily always know that we're breathing in toxins, but over a long period of time, we breathe in enough, it just becomes natural. And what's the issue? That we don't really want to live under the authority of Christ. We don't really want him to define for us what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to have a sex life that pleases Christ? We don't want Jesus to tell us what kind of entertainment we can't or cannot watch. We don't want Jesus to tell us anything that really rubs against what we want. And just like the religious leaders here, I, I, here's the thing, I, I think they are not ignorant. I think they know who Jesus is. But they'd rather do what they want than bow the knee to Christ. And at some point in all of our lives, we need to really make the decision. Will I allow Jesus in every single way of my life to say, this is mine. Like, Lord, yes, this is yours. Do it as you please. And so Jesus, kind of frustrated, I think, in his heart with this, this, like, we don't trust you. You don't have the right to come and do this. He kind of gives this really interesting parable. And it took me a second to kind of really see what was going on. But I'd like to just kind of explain what's happening a little bit and then have a few points of what, we, what do we see? Like, how does this help, passage help us understand the gospel? How does it help us understand our relationship with God? And so go ahead and look down at verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, and so Jesus, right after this conversation, began to speak to them in parables. And he talks about, there's a man who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. And he dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. Now, again, Jesus talking to this uh, context, this is probably a very normal thing. Um, uh, back then, um, a matter of fact, uh, do you need her? Or? Yes. Yeah, got a flat tire or something? Yeah. yeah. Um, some people refer to Israel as being the rockiest place on earth. Uh, just like a lot of uh, pebbles and stones. And in order to kind of like clear a land where you can grow like wine and, and grapes and a good harvest, took a lot of work. And so what we see here is we see a man who works hard. He uh, dug a pit. He uh, built a tower. He put a fence around it. And so we don't get the impression that this guy is some kind of Joe Schmo. He has done all of the work necessary to really make sure that he has a good business. Now, again, cu custom to that day is when this guy would make this kind of vineyard and put a tower in. You guys know what the tower is for? You guys know what a tower typically is for? It's for that when thieves try to come in and steal, you can see them, right? When all this work is done, he hires people, right? He gets a tenant and he says, okay, I want you to come in. I want you to take care of all of the, all of the operations. And, and what will happen is typically when the harvest comes, when the wine starts beginning made and fermented, uh, the tenants would get some of it and the owner would get some of it. 
right? And so it came to that time. So verse 2, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants. Hey, it's time to collect. It's time to kind of get the, the rate of return on my investment. My investment is this beautiful vineyard. I hired workers to make awesome wine, Napa Valley style, right? It's going to be the best wine ever. And so verse 3, they go, he took him, and they beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So these tenants are like, I don't know who this owner is, and I don't care who is working for him, but uh, let's give you a good beating, and you ain't getting none of this wine that we worked hard for. Now, let me tell you something, and, and I'll get to this point a little later, but if this was my vineyard, you get one chance to do what's right. It's like, so say if I like had a farm in Illinois, right? I went to college there. Say I started a farm and um, say I grew tomatoes, right? But I have like this really special soil and it makes like some of the best tomatoes and it's like a high commodity for really fancy restaurants. And I hire a bunch of my old friends to raise these tomatoes. And so I send Alex, I say, Alex, all right, man. Go kind of get some of these tomatoes. We can bring them back and enjoy them. And it's going to be awesome. And I send Alex. Alex flies all the way to Chicagoland, goes to these guys raising tomatoes, and they break three of his ribs, give him two black eyes, and they say, you ain't getting none of these tomatoes. Okay, let me tell you something. At that point, I am on my way to take care of some business. Like, you had one opportunity with me, with me. And you'll see why it's important in a second. Because what happens? Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. All right. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? That's kind of like the motto, right? So go on. Uh, Verse 5. He sent another one, and they, this time... They killed the guy. So, like, okay, this, this boss man, he doesn't get the hint. So instead of just beating him up, we've got to kill him. Right? Maybe he'll get the hint then. Three times now. Wow. This is, this is crazy. Killing someone because you don't even own it, right? This guy has every right to go and collect on his investment. Verse 6. Excuse me, verse middle of 5. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed... Depending if they liked the guy, I guess, or if they didn't like him, if they thought he was a weasel, they might have killed him. But here we go, verse 6, boom. This verse would have been, like, shocking to the people listening to Jesus. The eldest son, like the heir, the beloved son. And a lot of people think that this beloved son is uh, really kind of like alluding back to Jesus' baptism, where this is my beloved son. A lot of people think that this verse right here is, re- is referring to passages in the Old Testament and how important this really is. Like, this is the most important. Like, your oldest son was the most important and precious thing you had, far more important than any vineyard or any money you had, your oldest son. And so he sends the most precious thing. And even this guy is thinking, okay, yeah, some, some hired hands, okay, some, some whatever people, a lot of people, but, but this, this is my beloved son. Surely they would listen to him. Verse seven, but those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, 
Let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. They took him, killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Now this is a really interesting story because uh, Matthew's gospel actually um, explains a little bit more than what Mark does. You can look in Matthew 23. So Jesus is giving this story to the Pharisees about 23 and he asks them this question. He says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew's gospel actually answer it. Do you know what they say? Well, he's going to kill them. He's going to cut their heads. It's like this very like, brutal, when Jesus asks his questions, what would the master do after he sent all these people, his own beloved son, what would he do? They're like, oh, the only logical thing is, is he's going to go and kill them. It's fascinating. Do you know why? Because they're pretty much admitting their own sentencing. So this story of the vineyard is uh, really referred to as like this illusion in Isaiah 5, where it's talking about a vineyard. And the vineyard represents Israel and how they have been unfaithful to God and how this vineyard will no longer produce any fruit. And so this little story right here that we're talking about is Jesus is referring to how the religious leaders of God's people have always cast off, beaten, rejected, killed God's prophets. Time and time and time again, God would send prophets to the people of Israel and they would not listen to them. They would beat them. They would kill them. And so God ultimately had to send his one and beloved son to kind of rein in God's people And so Jesus asked this question, what? what should they do? So in Matthew, they say we should kill them. Jesus says here, also in verse 9, he will come and destroy the tenants. He's like, you're right, he will. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. So really, the, the parable is this. God is the one who makes a vineyard. He calls out a people by his own grace and his own love. He works hard to make a people for himself. He gives them a land to produce fruit, to produce praise and glory to God. And so when God calls upon his people to be true to what he's called them to do, and he sends prophets and people, do you know what they do? They reject it. They despise it. And Jesus here, I, I think, really offends these people. Do you know why? Because like I said, these religious leaders, they're not no dummies. They're not ignorant. Why? Look down at verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him. They were mad. Why do they want to arrest him? They, but they feared the people because they perceived. They knew that he had told the parable what? Against them. Saying, guess what? Your time is over. You people have always, 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 always disobeyed God by not listening to the prophets. And now you have cast me off. So in essence, Jesus is answering their question, but in a parable. That's what I love about Jesus. He's so smart. By what authority do you do this? I'm not going to answer you. Let me give you a little story. 
and I'll let you decide for yourself. And he gives this parable. In essence, you know what he's saying? I am the one beloved son. And so Jesus is saying, God is going to come and punish you. But here's what I like about this story. Here are a few points for us. One, remember how I said the first time you disobeyed me, I'm coming down hot, I'm coming down guns blazing? What's God like, though? He sends one servant. Okay. All right, they didn't get it this time. Okay, let's send another one. Boom, okay. Oh, man, they, they still? All right, let's send a third. Okay, yeah, they're not doing it. Okay, keep, keep sending more. Keep sending more. Keep sending more. Keep sending more. What does this teach us about God? That God is slow to anger. He's patient with us. And he's abounding in steadfast love. You know, here's the gospel news for us, is that God continually is wooing us. He is calling us. He is patient when we are wandering, when we are prone to wander. God continues by his word, through the gospel, to bring us back. He is not like us as humans who, right off the bat, you fool me once, we're done. He sends prophet and person and memory after another to draw us back to himself, as Exodus 34 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord does not desire to see his people walk in misery and sin. And so he continues to encourage us and call us back and to respond. That's the heart of God that he desires to to be the God of second chances. That that there is boundless grace in God's care. And what else does this teach us? The second point is this, that, that Jesus, he is our advocate. That he is the one who God has ultimately sent, his one and only precious son, the most valuable resource that God has, he expends in order that we would respond to him. And here's the, great, here's the great news. It's always great news, right? That we don't need to relate to God through priests or prophets or this person or through me. But we relate to God with Christ. As First John would say, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That Jesus is the beloved Son And we don't have to wonder about how to be good and how to please God. We don't have to sit there and say, well, man, I don't know if I'm really bearing enough fruit. Jesus has done it for us. So we have an advocate. We have someone who says, okay, I will now relate to my people through my son. God is slow to anger. Jesus is our advocate. And here's what I love. The way in which we have Jesus as our advocate is simply this, as Romans would say. We confess with our lips and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and we will be saved. That taking hold of Jesus isn't anything more than what we talked about last week. Asking and believing that you'll receive. And the third point I think is this, guys. 
that at some point in our relationship with Jesus, we need to be good stewards of the time, energy, talents, gifts that God has given us. That God, I think, remember I mentioned earlier a little bit, that sometimes our, our theology and the air we breathe in breeds this kind of individualistic type of uh, life. That in essence, we, we sometimes, whether we we're able to admit it or not, we see Jesus really just as a ticket to heaven. And it's all just about my personal conversion. It's all about just me getting um, my life saved and kind of the rest is like, I'm just going to kind of escape through. But God has called out a people. He has done the hard work. He has lifted us up on eagle's wings in order that we would be people who would glorify him, who we would be people who help usher in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that we would be people who are salt and light to this dark earth that we live in, that we'd be people who stand up for righteousness' sake and justice and concern, that we are people who have been endowed with certain gifts and energies and talents, and we're all different, and God does expect some rate of return. Not that I become a pastor or preach messages or try to give money because I want Aaron to be honored or glorified, but because I desire to please my Heavenly Father. Because Jesus has the authority over everything, because I know that God has called me for a certain purpose to glorify him. And so in high school, I think some of us, we, we tend to steward our gifts, our time, our talents, our treasures in a way that benefits ourselves more than it benefits God. And what's the warning in this passage? Right? Like, this, Jesus isn't just like, hey, but it's okay. No. There is mercy, there is grace, but there is also a deep warning. It says it right there in verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Here's what he'll do He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Praise be to God for the grace found in the gospel through Christ. But let us also know. That with this grace comes the expectation and the transformation of living a life of good deeds and love towards others. Of living a life that cares about heaven's kingdom being met here on earth. And it's interesting, next week we'll talk about this, this woman who pays just a little bit. And we're talking about using our gifts and our talents in a way that benefits God's kingdom. But let us, let us, let us just know there are consequences to having a heart that cares more about investing what's good for me than about pleasing God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who can exhaustively look over every part of the created order and boldly proclaim that this is mine. Jesus has authority over everything. And praise be to God that we have a God who is slow to anger and abounding in self love. That times when we, don't, when, when we don't get this, when we are tempted to think, ah, oh, no, I got authority in my own self. God continually is patient with us, 
over and over and over again. Guys, listen, when it comes to your sin and you feel trapped and, and you feel like you just keep doing the same mistake, God is patient. He's gracious. We also have Jesus as our advocate. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But let us know that this grace comes with an expectation to steward our gifts in a way that brings glory and honor to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And we ask now, Lord, that by your spirit, you would help us in small groups to be open and honest and to bring you more glory. Lord, we uh, thank you for this time. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.